good morning again, and I hope you're doing well. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 12 today, so you um, want to open your Bibles there, either your app or your actual Bible, you know, it's okay. Either one would be sufficient. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 12 today, and we're looking at baggage in this series that you and I uh, can oftentimes carry Sometimes we are aware of that. Sometimes it's stuff we're, we've packed up and we may not even be fully aware that it's things that we're carrying. The thing that we're going to talk about today, it's in this passage, is baggage that Christians have been carrying for centuries. It's baggage that, uh, that's quite prominent and prevalent in Christian circles and has been almost from, well, really from day one, really beforehand. We'll see in the text today. And that's what I'm calling the baggage of legalism. Legalism. Legalism is a terminology we utilize to describe the idea that I can, I have the belief, or someone may have the belief that they can earn God's favor by doing religious acts or by works that would incite that God would give them some type of favor. And oftentimes legalism turns into not just I do that for myself, but then I look through judgmental eyes toward others, presuming upon them things I think they should do as well. Legalism is this idea of I've got to work hard enough and then God will then look at me and be pleased with me. And Jesus helps us to see that that's baggage we need not carry. That's baggage that was never intended to be ours to carry. And I want to show you that today in our passage. The baggage of legalism is something we've all carried at one time or another. And it may be something you're carrying now. I've been in church basically my entire life. I grew up in a Christian home for which I'm so thankful. Um, my mom is integral in my walk with the Lord as well as my granny. My mom made sure that we were in church uh, from the time I was born. My dad, a believer, worked all week long and so Sundays because it wasn't modeled in his home um, by his own dad. He used Sundays as a day of of resting uh, from his work, and so he didn't go to church a lot until probably the last 10 or 15 years of his life. But for us, it was very important. I grew up in a Christian home. I was saved at the age of six. And I know for certain the Lord saved me at that moment, convicted me of what little sin 
was in my life, but this sinful nature that I had and convinced me I needed salvation. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful that the Lord saved me at such a young age. I'm, you know, that's what any dad, any mom wants is for their child to trust the Lord and to avoid a life of heartache and trial and sinfulness, right? I'm so thankful our kids have trusted, all trusted the Lord at young ages. But with that, for me as a six-year-old, because I avoided a lot of the vices and difficulties, many of my peers and other people that I knew ended up being a part of, the Lord shielded me from those, but what it became for me was this badge of honor. Look at me. I've not done what they've done. I've been able to abstain from those kind of things. And so what happened is growing up, I became this self-righteous person. I became this person that looked in the mirror and thought, can't get much better than that. Not saying it was the right thing to do. I'm just saying I was disillusioned, okay? Well, Paul, in a similarity, was a righteous person. And at some point in his life when he encountered Jesus, him for the first time, and it's similar in my own life, he, he was knocked back by the Lord. He said, I'm a fair, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was perfect according to the law. I did everything right. But he also deemed himself as the chief among all sinners. Because you see, I almost think the sin of self-righteousness is worse. If you're, if you're giving, and God doesn't necessarily give um, degrees to our sins, but if we would give degrees to our sins, I think self-righteousness is probably far worse than anything else because you don't realize the need you have for the Lord. That was me. I became so self-righteous. The Lord met me in my self-righteousness and convicted me of my sin showing me that idea that Paul communicated, I am the chief of all sinners. And it was a sin of self-righteousness that the Lord convicted me of the most. I tell you that because I speak today about this topic as one who has difficulty carrying the baggage of self-righteousness and legalism. I'd love to tell you that I've laid it all down before the Lord, but there's times where I go into my closet, pull that bag out again, and start saying, well, they ought to do this, and they ought to do that, and this and that. And it's wrong. I tell you that today because I want you to see this is something I really believe we all, to an extent, are carrying in our lives this baggage of legalism. And so what I hope to tell you and help you to see today is what legalism does 
in our lives if we're not careful. But contrast that with who Jesus is and who's meant to be for us so that we can lay down those bags at his feet. It seems very easy for us to get wrapped up in the idea that we must work to earn God's favor because grace can be a difficult concept to grasp. But Jesus wants us to drop the baggage of legalism and focus our affection on him, to focus our allegiance toward him and not ourselves and what we can do to earn his favor. This idea of legalism really began before Christianity. I said it's something that Christians have had to deal with from the very beginning. And really, we see in the writings of the book of Acts and we see in the letters that are written to all of these churches, they're all dealing with some form of either legalism or uh, lawlessness, that they can live their life however they want in freedom and, and with no consequence. And they, they go to either extreme but it really began before that. We see it in the passage today that it's in the Pharisees and the scribes that Jesus is dealing with and he's dealing with the legalism in their lives, this idea that they could do enough to be religious enough to earn the favor of God and therefore elevate themselves to this level that they thought that they were better than everyone else even Jesus himself. They were the religion police and they wanted to arrest Jesus, lock him up and throw away the key. So we're going to continue our study in Matthew chapter 12 verses 1 through 21 and in this passage discover what legalism does and contrast that with who Jesus is. It's a rather lengthy passage today, but I want to ask that if you are able to stand and do that for a few moments, stand. If, if you can't, you remain seated. That's okay. But I want to read this together because it's the Word of God that transforms our hearts. At that time, Jesus passed through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick and eat some of the heads of grain. The Pharisees saw this. They said to him, see, they were, they were there waiting just to try to trap him. And he says, see, see, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Jesus said to them, haven't you read what David did when he and those who were with him were hungry? How he entered the house of God and they ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for him or for those with him to eat, but only for the priests? Or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath days, the priests in the temple violate the Sabbath and are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here with you. If you had known what this means, I desire and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Moving on from there, he entered their synagogue. There he saw a man who had a shriveled hand, and in order to accuse him, 
they asked him, is it lawful? So they're, they're really hung up on this Sabbath thing. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And he replied to them, who among you, if he had a sheep that fell into a pit on the Sabbath, wouldn't take hold of it and lift it out? A person is far worth far more than a sheep. So it is lawful to do what is good on the Sabbath. He told the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and was restored as good as the other. The Pharisees went out. Oh, man, they're mad. They plotted against him that they might kill him. We'll talk about the lunacy of that in just a moment. Jesus was aware of this and withdrew. Large crowds followed him and he healed them all. He warned them not to make him known so that what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Here is my servant whom I've chosen, my beloved in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not argue or shout. No one will hear his voice in the streets. He will not break a bruised reed and he will not put out a smoldering wick until he has led justice to victory. The nations will put their hope in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Oh God, may your word pierce our hearts today in Jesus' name. I've got two points today, all right? So uh, what legalism does and who Jesus is. Now I have to be honest, I have to be upfront with you. Each of these points has four subpoints, all right? So it's a little tricky. I'm going to try to get through them as quickly as possible. Each one is so important as we ask God to gaze into our own lives and into our own hearts and see what might be inside of our own selves that needs to be called out and that, that baggage that we need to lay down at his feet. First, the thing we see about what legalism does. Legalism seeks to earn God's favor with our own works. We've kind of already talked about this, and I, I want to just look at it in the passage and kind of show you what's happening here to reiterate that just a little bit more. The Pharisees were focused in on Jesus' every move. They're literally following him kind of in front. It's like, hey, this guy could be healed, but it's the Sabbath. You really want to do that? You know, I mean, it's like they're right there. They are the police, man. They're watching his every move. <clears throat> They're seeking to find something they could expose in him while touting their own self-righteousness. You your disciples did what was unlawful. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Check out what they're doing. They're not supposed to do that. You know, it's like they're tattletales. You know, like I live with four tattletales, right? They're like... Oh, this is, this is the favorite phrase. You know, someone comes crying and they say, so-and-so did blank to me for no reason. <laughs> really? 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 Right? But that's what, the, that's what the Pharisees are doing. Look what they did. Look what they did. Look what's happening here. They're not supposed to do that. That's what legalism does. Legalism says, you have to perform, and when you mess up, 
When you mess up, you lose God's favor. Look at you. Look what you did. Look at the wrong that you committed. Legalism is looking, watching, waiting for someone else to fall and say, you don't deserve God's love. You don't deserve God's favor. Only I do. That's what legalism does. That's it's lunacy. It's, it's crazy. That's not how God works, but that's what we do to this idea of religious pursuit. Look at me and look at all the things that I'm able to do and God's going to be like, oh yeah, look at Derek, he's doing awesome. But man, not when he looks at you. He sees all the things you do. This is why Jesus said, listen, take the log out of your eye before you start looking at the specks in somebody else's. But legalism is watching and waiting for you and I to fall. If you're more concerned with watching for others to fail than you are with looking at your own self and saying, what needs to change in me? You may be carrying the baggage of legalism. If you're looking for others to fail and you're not aware of what needs to change in your own heart, you're probably carrying that legalistic baggage. Legalism seeks to earn God's favor with our own works. Number two, subpoint number two, Legalism seeks to add more to God's commands. This is a little complicated. I want to try to help you understand it as best I can because people kind of get, we kind of get wrapped up in like, hey, what am I supposed to do? Like, you know, there's this Sabbath thing. It seems pretty important. You know, it's one of the Ten Commandments, but like we don't really do that anymore. So like what's happening? Why, why people get caught up in all this? But what they don't see is what happens with what's happening with these Pharisees is that they've made some serious errors in their accusations. They've made some serious errors in their own life and their own idea and adherence to the law. And one of those is that they are constantly, constantly adding to God's commands. They've taken the Old Testament law and they said, well, yeah, that's that's. Um, important for us to do but in order to do that and do it the best we can we need to also do x y and z and so they add these requirements their own requirements to what god said what i love there's a there's a passage of scripture in deuteronomy 29 29 it says there are hidden things that we don't even know but see these pharisees they've tried the cult there's just some things that god doesn't tell us and we have to live by faith. There are some things that we don't have all the answers. We just do what he told us to do. And we don't have to add our own religious laws and religious things to it. But that's what they did. The Pharisees committed these three errors when they started making this list against Jesus and his disciples. And they were adding requirements to the law in many of the instances. They would split hairs when it came to these regulations and they would add things the actual law didn't describe. John MacArthur helps describe the absurdity the Pharisees would enter into in splitting these, the, these, these, these hairs, these religious hairs. The, he, he describes some of the things they would do. He said, tailors wouldn't carry a needle with them on the Sabbath 
for fear that they might be tempted to mend a garment and thereby perform work. Nothing could be bought or sold, and clothing could not be dyed or washed. A letter could not be dispatched, even if by the hand of a Gentile. No fire could be lit or extinguished, including fire for a lamp. Although a fire already lit could be used within certain limits, for that reason, some Orthodox Jews today use automatic timers to turn on lights in their homes well before the Sabbath begins. Otherwise, they might forget to turn them on in time and have to spend the night in the dark. Baths could not be taken for fear. Some of the water might spill onto the floor and wash it. Chairs could not be moved because dragging them might make a furrow in the ground and a woman was not to look in a mirror lest she see a gray hair and be tempted to pull it out. These are the things that they would add to this. If you were here for our mission night we had in October, we had a speaker from Jerusalem. He was a missionary to Jerusalem. And he mentioned that he, because he had being a Gentile, he would oftentimes get calls by the people, the Orthodox Jews in his, in his uh, apartment complex that, you know, he needed to come and flip on one of these switches they forgot or didn't work or something. And it's just ridiculous. That's what we're trying to help you see is that these people would add these rules and ideals that they were not supposed to worry about. It wasn't, the law never told you not to take a, a needle with you so that you might get mend something if it fell off or, or tore. These people were also guilty of, these Pharisees were also guilty of the error of ignoring the exceptions that were actually included in the law. David Platt describes what's happening with Jesus by saying the following. He says, he's describing this actual passage here. He says, in order to justify his disciples' acts of plucking heads of grain on the Sabbath, Jesus cited the Old Testament story of David entering into the tabernacle and eating a piece of bread with his men on the Sabbath, which is found in 1 Samuel 21. That was only something that only priests were permitted to do which is recorded in the law in Leviticus 24. Jesus then noted how the priests were, according to the law, allowed to work on the Sabbath without dishonoring God. That's found in Numbers 28. In other words, the rules that the Pharisees were making would not even stand up with the precedent in the Old Testament, the very same Old Testament they were seeking to uphold. Those are two of the errors that two of the three errors that they were making in, in their own issues. They're adding more to God's commands. And then the third thing that they erred in is our third point. What legalism does, legalism misses the heart of God's law. Misses the heart of what it was intended for in the first place. Jesus tells the Pharisees that they've missed the heart of the law by being so concerned with the letter of it. He actually quotes Hosea 6, 6 in this passage, and he tells them, if you knew the meaning of I desire mercy and not sacrifice, which is quoted in these prophets' words, 
that they might have spared the innocent is what Jesus says. You see, the law was intended to help people, help guide people's hearts toward God. But what the law turned into was this set of rules that they had to follow and they missed God's heart in it all along. It's similar to what King David realized after his own sin and he prayed in Psalm 51 that he prayed to God realizing God desires a broken and contrite heart not merely sacrifice for sacrifice sake. Contrition and brokenness are far away from the one who's carrying the baggage of legalism and therefore far from the heart of God because God desires contrite, broken hearts. The fourth thing legalism does is legalism often expect, expects more of everyone else and less of itself. If you scroll down in the story, Jesus confronted again, Jesus is confronted again on the Sabbath because he heals a man. The Pharisees allow themselves to be incensed at Jesus and malice grows in their hearts. Malice that is abominable to God. Hatred, and it burns and grows and turns in to murderous thoughts. How ludicrous is it that they point out this man that needs his hands healing? Obviously, they've seen this man begging in the streets again and again, and perhaps they're like those priests and Levites Jesus talks about in the Good Samaritan story that just passes by unconcerned. And so they pass by with Jesus and says, hey, here's this guy who's got a withered hand. Is it permissible for you to heal him on the Sabbath? And Jesus, I love it. Actually, it is. Be healed. They're, they're not gracious they're not thoughtful. Wow, this man now finally can get a job. This man could finally provide for his family. This man could actually go and earn a living and, and not have to beg anymore. Instead, they're enraged. What does that say about their own heart? They are willing to commit murder just because Jesus healed to someone. That's what legalism does. Legalism cherry picks, cherry picks rules and regulations and points out what you ought to do. Well, I can do whatever I want to. I can go and kill somebody if I want to. That's what happens here. Legalism oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes looks at you more in a more scrutinizing way and looks at me and says, that's okay. That'd be all right. There's a reason. How dare he? That's how bonkers legalism can become. Legalism gets angry when others do not see things the way we think they ought to. 
and we allow ourselves more leeway than someone else. So I've talked about what legalism does, and now let's look at who Jesus is, because that's really the thing that combats legalism. That's the thing that helps us put down the bags of legalism in our life. Number one, Jesus is greater than religious rules. So we're going to contrast the adherence to religious works at the expense of devotion to God with what Jesus came to instill in his followers and really anyone who wanted to follow him. In Matthew 5, 17, earlier in this book, Jesus tells people when he was asked about the law, Jesus makes it very, very clear, I did not come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. We don't just get to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Doesn't mean that we just say, oh, well, there's all these religious rules. Well, we don't have to do them now because we have Jesus. That's not what Jesus does. These things are still important. They just look new. They look different. Jesus didn't mean for the Sabbath to be done away with, nor did he desire for religious righteousness to be abolished. He came to fulfill it. And that word means he, he came to make it fuller, to make it complete for us. In our passage today, Jesus says, I'm greater than the temple. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created for me, not me, for the Sabbath. Jesus is the object of our devotion and the thing that we are now to follow with fervency that the Pharisees used for following the law. The, the fervency they had to follow the law is the thing that you and I need to be so compassionate, so, so passionate, so zealous for, to follow Jesus, to be like him, and to be what he wants us to be. Not our ability to follow a set of rules, to lift ourselves up, to promote ourselves, but to go and say, there's a whole lot of things I probably need to do better, but thank God I have Jesus who does them for me, who fills it and makes it complete in my life. Thank God I have Jesus. Jesus is greater than the religious rules, and Jesus is also the object of our worship. Not a list of, well, you can do this, you can't do that, and you... You, you can do this, but only if you go this far or if you go to this place or you do it. We, we don't have to do the splitting of the hairs. We worship Jesus. The Sabbath was all about putting the rest of the world on hold and forcing rest in our lives to acknowledge God's promises. That's what it was intended for to begin with. It was established in creation. Jesus rested on the seventh day and it was instilled and put it on the, the, the fair, or it was put on the, uh, the Israelites so that they would force themselves to say, this day is devoted to the Lord God who himself rested and I find myself in my rest in him today. But people turned it on its head and messed it up and began to objectify this day 
rather than the one who this day pointed to. Jesus is now the object of our worship. I would encourage you to consider Paul's words in Colossians 2, 16 through 17. He says, therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink or in the matter of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. He's saying, don't let anybody put their legalistic rules on you. This is what he continues to say in that passage. He says, these, these things, festival, new moon, Sabbath day, what you drink, what you eat, these are a shadow of what was to come. The substance, the fuller, the complete thing is Jesus. The substance of the Sabbath is Jesus. The substance is Christ is what Paul says. It's all about him. It's all about Jesus. It's not about our ability to perform a task in a certain way to earn God's love. God's love is freely given to those who fall headlong on the love of Jesus Christ and place their trust in him and him alone for their righteousness. Jesus gives us righteousness in himself, not in what we do or do not do. Because Christ and his resurrection are our substance now. We worship on Sunday to recognize that every Sunday is the Lord's Day or Resurrection Day. It's Easter Day. Every Sunday. We still need this, we still need a Sabbath by finding our rest in Christ. And we do that on more than one day. Well, that's not just regarded for one day. We're supposed to find our rest in Christ daily. Jesus is greater than the religious rules. Jesus is the object of our worship. Jesus is the giver of good things. Jesus says, hey, any of you guys who have a sheep, and many of them probably did, he says, if it fell into a pit on the Sabbath, you just gonna let it sit in there? You just gonna let it die? The answer is no. I mean, that, that was clear. Jesus turns the tables and he says, no, you're not gonna do that. What I'm doing today, a person, a man with a withered hand is far more important than your sheep. So I will, I will heal him today because I give good gifts. Aren't you glad that Jesus gives us good things in our lives? Aren't you thankful that he's the giver of good things and so we worship him. We worship him. We must recognize and understand that our Lord gave food to the disciples who were hungry and even, on, they, even though he did it on a high religious day, he took care of their need. Jesus, our good, good father, gave a man healing on a high religious day because that matters more than a day. And we must recognize this as we deal with sinners and saints and people who need Jesus and they need his good gifts. And let us not be the ones that have gazing, legalistic self-righteous eyes and point out every wrong that someone does and let's just say to those folks hey you might be doing it wrong but Jesus loves you and you can be the recipient of his good gift 
You can be the recipient of his salvation. Listen, I'm not saying that we somehow don't look and judge and, 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 and take into account people's sinfulness, but let us not be the, first, the one that look with judging eyes, let, allowing ourselves to do whatever we want to and not be the ones who offer the goodness of God to people who desperately need it. They may turn it away. They may look the other way. They may not want it. But can we be the ones who take those truths and take the goodness of God and the salvation of Jesus to those people may deem unworthy of it? But who are we to do that? That's up to the Lord. Let's take the good gifts of salvation through Jesus Christ and deliver it to all peoples. I'm not saying that we should look beyond sin or not call sin sin. But I am saying let's don't get so wrapped up in other people's sins that we don't see our own and that we're not willing to give salvation Let's remember the height from which we've fallen, that Jesus saved us when we didn't deserve it. Thank God. Praise God. And let's go to people and say, Jesus loves you. He doesn't want you to stay the way you are, but he does want to save you. He wants to give you good things. And the final thing we see today is Jesus is our hope. So yeah, Jesus did things differently and it made the Pharisees mad and that's just a given. But this passage tells us he did it for a specific reason. Verses 15 through 21 tells us by quoting Isaiah, he did it so that the nations would know that they could have placed their hope in him. Jesus wants people place their hope in him my hope your hope isn't in religion or your ability to keep a list of rules our hope is that a savior came to set you free from the baggage you hold and thank goodness you and I we bring nothing to the table of our own all we bring is baggage and sinfulness. And so I encourage you today to lay it down at his feet and allow him to do what you never could on your own. Place your hope in Jesus today. Let's pray, God, help us. Help us to find our hope in you. Help us to realize that no one is righteous, no, not one. All have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and that the payment, the wages of our sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord that is where our hope is found in you and in you alone what you did on the cross 
to forgive our sins, to save us, to forgive us, and to forgive us of the sin of legalism, the sin of self-righteousness. Would you humble us today, God, and help us to place our hope in you and you alone? I'm, hum I'm humbled in this moment because I realize there are people today who don't believe in Jesus because they've encountered quote-unquote church people. Church people who couldn't look past their own noses to see the need that someone had. God, I know that I have been that self-righteous jerk. I'm thankful for your forgiveness. But I pray today, Lord, you'd help us all to lay down our baggage of legalism to say that I can do enough somehow to earn your salvation. And that we would realize our only hope is Christ crucified and resurrected. I pray today, Lord, if there's somebody here struggling with church hurt, someone in a church hurt them because they couldn't look past their, their own noses, I pray today you break that bond. Lord, I pray today that you banish that thought from their heart and that today they would realize that's not who you are and that your good gifts are extended to them and that they can receive salvation today. Lord, would you speak eternal life into someone's heart today? God, would you break the chains and the bonds and the baggage of self-righteousness in anyone's heart that's, that's really dealing with that? I pray all these things and ask them in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? And as we stand, we're going to sing. And I pray that you do business with God today.